Welcome to Real Women Real Estate. Uh, we have a special guest today. It is Dwayne Akins, and we also have our regular ladies here. Can we get a shout out, ladies? I'm Tia. I'm Ebony. And I'm Courtney. And welcome to Real Women Real Estate. We want to first bring you today's quote before we introduce our guest. And the quote is life's most persistent question is what are others what are you doing for others by martin luther king jr and that quote is so important that i botched a little bit but it's so important because we have um, someone on that is has a life service to giving back a life service of dedicating it to others and uh, is a co-founder of We Lead Ours, and we're gonna talk about that and all the things that he's doing for the community. And why this is so important right now is we're in the midst of a pandemic. So let's introduce Dwayne. Dwayne Akins is a co-founder of We Lead Ours. It's a 501c, a nonprofit community-based organization. He serves as an Oakland Parks and Recreation Commissioner and retired board of directors for Keep Oakland Beautiful. He's also a life coach and a career development coach. Dwayne also has launched his first podcast, Time to Dig Deep, a mentoring and motivational podcast. And he's also a Xavier alumni. XU, and a proud Oakland native. Dwayne, thank you for being a part of the show today. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Awesome. So we wanted to kind of have you on here um, and kind of jump into mindset. Um, our first episode, or our second episode rather, really touched on mindset, money mindset, having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And as we kind of enter this space of the pandemic and just racial tensions that have really always been prevalent, I wanted to bring, on, bring you on and kind of talk about that and what are some of the things that you're experiencing. But before we dive in, let's talk about the entrepreneurship, Dwayne. Let's talk about that space. Um, what inspired you to start your own nonprofit organization with just $50 and no federal funds? <laughs> I was uh, I was actually working in the education space, and right after Katrina hit, I moved back to Oakland, and I took I wasn't going to stay here in Oakland. I was going to go back to New Orleans, but I went to the Red Cross to get support, and uh, I ended up jumping into education spaces and end up getting a job offer to teach physical education. And the unique thing about that, the the school where I taught physical education at. Uh, it was majority uh, Asian and Latinos and a sprinkle of black kids there. Uh, a lot of the black males were getting in a lot of trouble. And the principal came up to me and was like, I need your help. And I was like, well, how about this? Give me a group of 14 young men, seven knuckleheads, and seven, seven youngsters that's doing awesome. And so she gave me the group of seven. We started a group called MAPS, Men at Power Strategically. Through doing that work, I was like, the school system is missing so much. And I didn't see myself uh, standing in front of a class proctoring. And so I was like, I know I don't want to be a, I know I don't want to be an educator. Well, I am an educator, but I know I don't want to be a teacher. And I know I don't want to be a psychologist or a social worker. But I was like, I do want to start my own business. And so instead of just jumping in out there and doing a business, I bounced around different nonprofits, and in 2007, I decided to go back and get my uh, 
MBA. So I enrolled in the University of Phoenix to get my MBA because I wanted to make sure that if I started a business that I wouldn't crash it. And we're not, I'm not Donald Trump. I wasn't born with a silver, silver spoon. So I don't get to go bankrupt and crash and burn business and start over. So I want to make sure that I knew exactly what I was doing so that we can be successful. And so it's always been a part of me to be involved in civics, leadership, uh, getting folks together and just coming together. And uh, I say my super skill has been the ability to leverage relationships and to network. And I never would have thought being so social would be the biggest payoff in the nonprofit space. Because as you said, we actually started, it was $500. And so we started with $500 donation from one of our board members, Ethel Pope, to host our first pop-up event. And from there, our network kept us alive. We have yet to receive our own federal grant. However, we put ourselves in a position to where we have a partnership with the Oakland Unified School District. We just uh, expanded services to the Fremont Unified School District, as well as to a community center in Berkeley. And the unique thing about that is many nonprofits find it really difficult to build that level of relationships and work. And that's why I feel the NBA was so important because it allowed you to look at nonprofit, not just as some something that's just going to go, I hate to use the word, but beg, just begging, begging and always being needy. You also have, a, have, to, pro, have to have a product that you can put out there that can work so you can still continue your mission and vision. And that's so why talk to us program, about that. I am going to interrupt you for a little bit because you touched on something uh, about networking. And so as entrepreneurs, we're in the real estate space. Uh, we're having to, we market ourselves just the same as any other entrepreneur would. You know, we want to get ourselves out there. We want to be our most authentic selves in order to build our brand and build our business. And I know this is something that you do. Can you talk to us about it's a skill. Like you said, you said superpower. Can you talk to us about networking and how you're able to build a business just based on your network? So it, it really started because um, also after I finished the MBA program in 2009, I also enrolled in my doctorate program, Leadership Development Curriculum Instruction. And my early research was all about education, career exploration, programs and this was before people were really saying oh we got to connect kids into career spaces and career spaces and so we hosted our our second summer camp in 2010 because uh, I did one in 2009 but the one in 2010 I reached out to members of my fraternity that was working for Google uh, my fraternity brother reached out to his cousin that was working for Caltrans and we set up field trips I reached out to Bart uh, set up field trips just like right now it's not even about you going in your pocketbook. I want you to show these kids your career. I want you to do that. So leveraging, leveraging that, our resources just alone there and using that as a pilot to kind of pivot us, pivot us and move us in the right direction. And then also uh, getting involved in different uh, community boards that were like-minded to the organization. Like we do a lot of stuff in the green space and the parks and we do cleanups. We added that in because we have this thing called Rock the Park. So when we out in a park, instead of just going to play, each kid is challenged with picking up five pieces of trash and then we play on everything. So we call it Rock the Park. And I was at one school site and the island in front of the school was really dirty. 
And I told her, instead of suspending these kids, how about we call the parents and get permission for them to cross the street and get in the island and we clean up the trash. Keep Oakland Beautiful seeing me doing this level of work. So they reached out to the school and asked, and we had a boy and girl step team at that time. And they asked, they was doing the, they was doing their big uh, Earth Day celebration. And they asked for us to be a part of it and can the kids perform. And through that, they end up reaching back out to me and was like, can you apply to be on our board? And so I was like, sure, why not? I'll, I'll do it. And then that was one of the, that taught me a lot about how to get in contact with the media, how to work with local officials and to connect with the different politicians and know how City Hall works. Um, and it really, and I remember one of the first interviews, uh, they, they needed somebody to go to a, a legal dumping site. And they was like, well, Dwayne, you fit the card. You fit the card, that's in your community. And I hate to say it, they wanted somebody that was black and young to be out there and to carry that message for District 6 and 7 in East Oakland. If you could go back to some of my peers that was in, in my psych classes, they'll tell you, I'll talk about how my dad was incarcerated, how my mom was on drugs, how I seen my mom get, get kidnapped, raped. And I talk about all these things in the class. And by being able to talk about it there, I was getting, I didn't realize it up until now, like you was dealing with your own self therapies and all your reservations right then and there right. through your academic studying. I just like to believe that if I can see it, if I can see it, if I can dream about it, then it can happen. I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to some of those things that I actually want to do for myself. Dwayne, you are spot on and number one, just kudos to everything you just said, but even more so on the mindset of overcoming the conditioning that we we have here as minorities in America. Uh, from a real estate tip, if you're a real estate entrepreneur, like that's step one. That's what we talked about in our in our you know beginning of our shows. Like before you could do anything, impact any kind of change around you, you have to work on what's inside in your thought pattern and how you see yourself. And uh, I I love the fact that you're starting with the youth because so many times young people, especially young black men, are told who they are before they get to to discover who they are so um, kudos to you for being on the front line and, and making an impact in that and thank you you guys ins inspired me that credit 101 episode i was like wait i can get that house <laughs> you I, was listening to it. I was like okay I'm, <laughs> i was like i'm gonna get that house <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna get that house. And I told somebody else, I was like, y'all need to go and listen to that podcast because they was talking to me about how they could afford the house and how they student loan stuff. And I was like, no, nah, you need to listen to that episode. I'll send it to them. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. We know there's a current hot political climate right now. Social justice is on the front lines and you uh, in your organization are on the front lines as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, how you're organizing protests in your community? And then also, what advice do you have to people who may not feel comfortable or protesting is not their thing? What are other ways they can get involved to make a difference? So that's a loaded question. So I'm doing several things. So I'm learning how to work we call it in the organizing space, hats on, hats off. So I'm a I'm a park commissioner. And so that's a part of shaping policy and figuring out regulations around the parks. And 
one thing that just happened, we had nooses found hanging around Lake Merritt. Um, what was that? Yesterday they did a press conference on it. Wait, let's um, be clear because it, people are saying all of that is, oh, so-and-so is committing suicide. We are not hanging ourselves from trees. Let's just... Right. <laughs> right. So <laughs> that's, not, that's not our, that's not it. I don't believe right. And so we found, and, and so learning how to hold that space and be there when I'm there, then learning how to be on a board, on the board of directors for Oakland Parks Foundation, and then where it's very diverse and still allowing other people to have opinions and but also knowing how to use your voice without scaring somebody to participate in supporting the collective. One place where I think individuals that don't wanna do protests or be out there like that, a place that they can definitely start is writing, writing their, their leaders and their communities and telling them, these are my expectations. A lot of people forget that the politicians actually work for the taxpayers. And so we have to hold them accountable um, we started a group back when Houston got hit really hard by the, by the hurricane. So we started a group, we raised a good amount of money for you guys. We, we sent it, we sent it, I think to United Way or something like that. One of the ones that was in the South side, but, uh, we started this group here. It was called, it's the Bay area black collective. So a group of professionals from all different fraternities, sororities, community groups, and we just brought that back uh, from, I put out a challenge last last week, I think, uh, or two weeks ago, asking for support and buy-in to draft policy to change policing, multicultural, and education act, stuff like that. And we're starting in that space behind the scenes where we're working there, a protest that I was a part of, and it was more so a brotherhood meetup. So it's the huddle. So a group of black males got together and we just talked about really how we were feeling. Uh, I did a protest. I spoke at a protest last week. I wasn't the organizer, but I spoke at it and I called on us to hold all of these people we see showing up with us. We need to hold them accountable. I also said that we need to make sure that we don't just let Congress and the Senate put a temporary bandaid on this, that we need to make sure that these policies stay intact and that they last when we have grandkids and stuff and they have grandkids. Like we need to make sure that we're actually getting a phase plan approach policy uh, throughout this all. And the other space, I was on a, a phone today with one of uh, Huey P. Newton nephews and one of my friends from high school. Uh, we were on a call because my friend from high school, they wanna do an actual protest. And my thing about protest is I'm all for the movement and the energy, but I feel like right now we're in a space where we need call of actions at those protests. When we get that body of people together, we need them moving a certain way. We need them walking a certain way. We need them to carry on dialogue because so many times we have the protests and then we'll have no follow through afterwards. And I think it comes down from a lot of our, a lot of our national organizations. They are not, their, their leaders are not, organizing strong enough and telling the community folks, this is what we're gonna do. This is gonna be our action. This is gonna be our movement. And the other thing is I'm calling on folks that look like all of us to reach out to our friends, our family members that we still know out there in the lifestyles and doing what they need to do. And we need to call them back into the house. 
We need to call them back in the house and we need to let them know that we need them to change right now because we need them to be strong for the house. Because if, especially black males, if we're not collectively operating and moving together, we make it easier for the George Floyds and all these other things to happen. We need to be on one accord. Yeah. And that means we need to stop, we need to stop killing each other. Like I was just on uh, Instagram, Instagram Live talking to some some of like, I didn't realize until I got back from college and worked a while that Dwayne, you're not from 90th and Bancroft. You just you're a resident in Oakland, California. First off, when I go to 90th and Bancroft right now, I can't open up the door of the house I grew up in because my grandmother was renting that space. Right in the house. Down so, we're, the so you're getting you're getting ahead of us on this. So we want to <laughs> oh, we want to we want to kind of unwind and unpack some of the stuff that you're saying. So you know, you one of our me. questions. I keep talking to talking. I do. So one of our so one of our questions was um, just how can somebody enter this space? And so what I hear you saying using the kind of that networking. What I hear you saying is you really just have to start start somewhere and get out there and people will recognize what you're doing and they will see you and they will want to join your join your movement and so that's what i hear you saying and i think that's some good advice and that's something that i can personally take on myself just get out there your walk doesn't have to look the same as maybe a protest walk but whatever you do do it so start so i appreciate right. that and then um you kind of touched on you know your your grandmother you were talking about in regards to we don't own these spaces and you're 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 passionate about oakland you've always been passionate about your hometown and you know we keep saying this we're real estate we're real estate podcast but um talk to us about you know buying buying the block and what you're seeing in oakland on the housing scene and you know what you've experienced kind of coming back and what you're seeing now and what is it that you're you know kind of doing with your green spaces um and to, to contribute or to help in any way Right. So it's good that you asked those questions. Um, being from here, like seeing somebody homeless was, you see that in San Francisco. You didn't see that in Oakland. Our neighborhoods being this filthy and dirty. You didn't see that in Oakland. Like it wasn't like you, you literally can drop a piece of food on the ground and feel like I could pick it up and kiss it up to God and eat it and, and, and go about my business. Today, I wouldn't, if I drop it on the ground, it's going in the garbage can. I'm not eating it. And just the housing part, like understanding property. Like I was told that uh, that my grandmother, my grandfather, he was in the military and he had, a, and they got separated, but she had kids. But she was so mad at him that when he tried to buy her a house, she said, no, I'll make it on my own. And hindsight, her kids grew up in the project, right? And so her kid's story is a lot different. For example, one of my uncles, he was one of the big time drug dealers here in Oakland. So I remember Christmas when it used to look like Santa Claus was walking up the stairs with a duffel bag of cash and everybody got the big cars. Everybody had their own Nintendo. Everybody had their own individual stuff. So I remember those times. Then I remember the times when he passed and Christmas didn't look like duffel bags of cash going up the stairs anymore. And my other uncle, he was killed he got chased by the police my mom she was on drugs when her sister was on drugs the other the youngest the youngest aunt she was uh she didn't do drugs she worked and she took care of her family and stuff like that uh she took care of us as nieces and nephews and then uh my other uncle he did what 20 plus years to life in in jail so 
So to see it from that construct and then apply everything childhood up until this point all together, it's so important that we understand the value of owning things. I'm still learning how to do some of these things because I didn't have a good enough example as a young person to tell me like, Dwayne, do it this way. Don't get that car so early, you don't need that yet. And stuff like that. Stop trying to fake it until you make it and stuff like that. So a lot of us get caught up in that mind trap. And so really understanding your needs versus your wants, I would say is very important. And I talk about it a little bit from the educational space. I see sometimes where, why do your son got an iPhone, the newest one that just came out? You said you're on welfare, but you got iPhone Jordans, but then little Johnny can't read. So we got to get our priorities right, right? I'd rather Johnny, I'd rather invest the shoe money on Johnny to have a tutor versus not even knowing how to open up their iPhone and use it as an academic device to help them prepare well, propel forward because they don't really understand English and grammar. So we have to get our priorities in check and stop feeling like we got to chase the Joneses. That is a, a good, that's a good segue, I think, into kind of what we talked about in previous episodes. A lot of these things, you mentioned credit, we didn't know things about business. We didn't know things about like business credit, for example, you know, getting your DUNS number once you have your LLC and progressing and being a legitimate business. These aren't things that historically were taught. So we don't know these things, right? And so you're um, not unique in that way. And so that's what we started this podcast so that we could educate people and, and talk about that. So I want to just say, I appreciate you being um, your, your, candid and most authentic self with us today and and kind of touching back on that kind of reaching that and how you got developed that mindset and so that is kind of how you probably became a coach and how you became this this pro bono coach where you actually help services and help entrepreneurs tell us a little bit about that Dwayne. So he went from the Dwayne that is the entrepreneur with his 501c, Dwayne that's helping kids and doing green spaces uh, that's in parks and cleaning parks and things like that. Talk to us about uh, the, the coach. So the coach, the coach really came in because what I wanted to do when I first was going after the MBA program, I, I did not want to go into the nonprofit space originally because I was like, it's going to I don't want to deal with that, the grants and all of that paperwork. I do not want to deal with that. How about I give other folks my ideas? And so maybe I can be a business consultant. And midway through the program, things kind of change. And I start really drafting out We Lead Ours, like indirectly. And now I feel like through experiences, running my nonprofit for 10 years successful without any grant money, well, without any uh without any RFP federal grant style money or state grant money, that that's a testament of itself. So that looks like, oh, we need to hear from you now because you're doing something that many nonprofits don't know how to do. Uh, being on the board of directors for different organizations, serving in a leadership role as commissioner, being recognized from the university, uh, being recognized by the Golden State Warriors, uh, helping bring back the Bay Area Urban League young professionals. I feel like I have these talking pieces uh, that can speak to developing systems to support other people that's either trying to do something that I've done, et cetera. And 
I feel like everybody should be working together, helping each other win. Because when we first started by us being so youthful in the space and being young African-American males, we had two things to happen. Folks that look like us, they would either say we're their direct threat or either some folks that don't really understand that your business needs to look like the neighborhood that it serves. However, the energy could be is still wait, wait, like wait. my family. Say that part again. Say that part again. Ring it so back. Your business, your business needs to look like the community it serves. And what I mean is like, I just got to say it, but everything shouldn't be named after you. Like, <laughs> like it shouldn't be like at first, when I first started doing my summer camps, just pro bono pop-up summer camps, I was just like, this gonna be, this gonna be uh, Uncle Dwayne's day camp. And I'm like, everything shouldn't be named after Dwayne, right? That's why the marketing pieces and all those things are important, right? And I felt like so many of our urban businesses were missing that, are missing that understanding. And that's why they're not attracting some of the customers. Like, some of those little, the urban the urban uh, boutiques and stuff, they have nice things in the inside if you actually walk into one. However, some people will skip and go all the way to Express or H&M somewhere and skip that urban boutique because they don't feel like it's appealing for me to come inside. And so we have to ask ourselves the business question, what can I do differently to bring people inside? They can get, they like once you come to We Lead Ours, you understand that you're going to get you're going to get a leadership model from somebody that grew up being raised by a grandmother who had a fourth grade education that mom was on drugs dad was in and out of jail put myself through college so you're going to get that experience you're going to get that feel throughout my leadership program but anybody can come here and participate i don't all you got to do is be willing to participate and i definitely want to hear from your cultural experiences etc so that i can continue to grow as a person and so that the other kids and young people in here can learn how to deal with pretty much what our people that's leading the country don't know how to deal with is equity and diversity. And so I wanna make sure that the young minds that I have in front of me are able to deal with any type of person in front of them to make sure that when they walk into the, when they walk into the room, like I put the episode, be comfortable being an elephant in the room. Challenge people to get on your level, challenge people challenge people to be their best self and to treat you with respect and dig dignity inside that workspace and demand it. So, so talk about that a little bit. Go ahead, Kim. Oh, I just wanted to ask, you know, how Ebony, her, our biggest thing, her, one of her biggest touch points is the gentrification and how that looks in, o in Oakland mm -hmm. and what's that looking like and how mm -hmm. is that affecting the community there? And since you're there doing everything, what is that looking like? It's twofold. It's really affecting the community. Like I said, when I go to my, the home block that I grew up on, I know, I recognize one, two, three, four houses from the people that I remember on the block are still there. Everybody else is different. Like I said, on Thanksgiving, I can't, you used to just walk and knock on one of your friend's doors, like happy Thanksgiving when I was home from college and stuff. The first apartment I moved into back in 2006, was six hundred and seventy-five dollars, and I was like, I in think, California? <laughs> yeah, this was in two thousand and six. Wow, it was apartment two thousand six in East Oakland. It was six seventy-five. Maybe three years ago, I was like, that apartment wasn't too bad. I was, let's just see if it's back open. I'll move back in there. That same apartment's going for like, what was it? I think at the time, like seventeen hundred dollars, and that's in the hood. So I was like, whoa. 
that was a big change. I was like, you should have kept that apartment. <laughs> Whoa. But, uh, I'm sorry to cut you off. Are you seeing more like flipped, like they're buying the property and then coming in and renovating the property um, and just changing the face of of your your community? What downtown Oakland and West Oakland right now have been, I would say, really gentrified the most, whereas rent's going up all over the place. But you do have outside people like corporate entities coming in, buying up the spaces, charging these lofty amounts. And the problem is, it's great. People from Oakland want to see it look nice. Right. But they want to be able to participate. Right. And I think... I think so many people may not know how to participate because they didn't they didn't go and join a whole bunch of organizations and stuff like I did or have the desire to do their own business or understand how to evolve in a space that is more so tech, but you're not tech. And Oakland used to be a blue collar space. Now we're seeing uh, teachers, people that work for the post office, they used to be even city workers. They can't even afford to stay here. One of my friends was worked in for the city, higher up level, and they was telling me how they happy their apartment is in rent control and that they can't even afford to move out of their apartment right now. So it's it's twofold. It's really it's really twofold. It's really it's really sad. Uh, and then to see people just living in like the public spaces is really it's difficult for me because I love. I, I want all of our parks to be like really clean and fun, family oriented and safe. But some of them, you can't, you got to skip that part. And some of the city workers can't even go in there to clean it up because might be having mental health issues. Oakland has some deep rooted issues like the, the drugs uh, coming into our communities. Then you got kids that the eighties babies, raising ourselves and those of us that didn't get out are either they got stuck in the mindset or either they got stuck in the space and those kind of like two different things like stuck in the stuck in the mindset is falling into the notion that because you're from Oakland you hood you get all your ratchet and this is how you're supposed to act and then stuck in the space is you see everything going around and you just you working to get by and then those folks that were set up in, to succeed that are doing stuff outside of Oakland and not even coming into here. And then you have the few sprinkles of me that's still here, just still fighting. Like we got to get everybody on board and we got to build up the kids so that they can be prepared to compete. And we got to, we got to game them up to know how to, I, I love the fact that y'all talking about educate the young people on how to invest and how to get involved and how to, speak with their parents about like, hey, you can't use my social security card. Like, we need to have those real <laughs> levels of conversation. So <laughs> that's amazing. I know, I said that. I said that. And you know, we're laughing, but that happened. It does. It does. And, and it does. You're, you're you're talking about Oakland, you know, it makes me think about the Black Panthers and how that was their mission was the community. It started with the community. It started with making sure the kids were fed, taken care of, and had knowledge. And then you have the government coming in with, you know, programs like COINTELPRO, which really decimated. It really decimated. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm not, I'm only 34, but you know, I studied that and to see the effects all this time, it's really sad and it's heavy and 
it's really, really heartbreaking to see like that's how that that community has right. turned out. So you've gone through a lot. Go ahead, Ebony. No, I'm just gonna say we we have this this rising tide, like Kim was talking about, buy back the block, and how we're seeing that be successful is people really embracing group economics, um, and really like you're looking at people using private funding, um, uh, crowdfunding, uh, creative finances to go in and buy these buildings so that they can create affordable housing, and so it's not so much pressure on the local um, housing market, right? You're not you're not trying mm -hmm. to figure out how to pay $1,700 rent because now they're creating affordable housing for you. So hopefully, you know, there's right. more of that um, going on. And, so we've been talking and, about all of the things that uh, that you've been doing and all the things that you've, that you've gone through. And talk to us about books. Talk to us if you were inspired by books and what kind of motivated you uh, to push through when you had all of this kind of going on in the weight of the world on your shoulders. Did you, did you have any books that you read that inspired you that you can share with us? I would say not directly any books because I was more so into, I'm into like, when I get like a little frustrated, I kind of go to free writing poetry or find find some things that I can relate to and stuff like that. But these this book is uh, How Long Will I Cry is Voices of Youth Violence. And so it's a book based out of uh, St. Paul University, Chicago. And pretty much they do a collection. And so all you have to do is just give them out to, to kids so that they can uh, hear other stories. And it's just monologues and monologues and monologues of stories. So I just read those stories to stay rooted uh, and to remember why I'm doing this work. Um, I try to always make sure that <clears throat> I don't let uh, financial burdens or something like that deter me or something like that. I'm like, well, your grandma said you got, you got shelter, you got food, you got clean clothes, you're gonna be all right. So, so I try to, I try to keep that in mind and remember that there's somebody doing worse than me. So long as I stay humble and committed to my personal cause and mission, that everything that I want is eventually going to play out for me. It's just a matter of process. Don't rush the process. Don't feel like you got to hurry up and jump into something and do something. That's why I was talking about the, the, uh, the political, I mean, well, the, the community organizing at this point and like hurry up to feel like I got to be the person to pass this legislation because this is going to do it all for me. We don't want to rush the process. Like we want to make, I want to make sure that things are well thought out because when you talk about policy, you talk about changing people's lives and it's going to have a long-term effect on people. So we want to make sure we get the best thing out. Thank you. Um, this time has gone by really fast. Um, and we really appreciate you joining us. How can our listeners find you on social media? Social media at D-Elegance, D-E-G-E-L-A-N-C-E-W-E-L-O. So that's on Instagram, Twitter. Or either they can just search my name because I use my name on all of the platforms. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is doing actually better now than Facebook as far as like... <laughs> really bringing true connections and really doing what it's supposed to do so i'm really enjoying linkedin yeah and i like uh, i like instagram and then of course you, you can look for two of our uh podcasts my personal one time to dig deep on anchor or either uh we the scenario podcast on anchor so that's our career exploration you voice courtney actually did did our show last week she's really awesome 
and it's actually up. It's live now. So, and each one of y'all, I welcome y'all to come on that show too. Awesome. Well, we like to end it with just one quick tidbit, and it's something we like to call rapid fire. I like to name it Real Women Rapid Fire. I like that. I'm going with it. I'm sticking to it. So, when you are getting pumped up and you're going to your green spaces and you're going to the park and you're about to help the kids and you're getting pumped up, what are you listening to? Oh, as of Rapid lately, fire. I'm listening to, I'm listening to Don't Rush. <laughs> oh, really? Don't rush. Really? Yeah, Still? After all the rush. challenges? Look. Oh, I like it. Hey, I'm not mad at that, though. I'm not mad at that. We're, we're a judgment-free like zone. Yeah. The actual song song. <laughs> I'm a little old. I, I'm a little old. I don't got TikTok, so I didn't find about, find out about it. Like, don't I didn't know it was an actual song either. I didn't, I'm, I'm, I didn't know it was an actual <laughs> because song. I hear it. I, I have satellite no. radio, so I keep hearing it on satellite. But yeah, no, it's a real song. <laughs> I like it. Y'all, y'all make fun of me. As y'all read books, I listen to my satellite radio. Therefore, I <laughs> that's, that's right. I don't have to you, either no way, judgment I here. Have, I have my radio. <laughs> I love it, Kim. No judgment, yeah. girl. So next question, if you are watching TV, a uh, movie comes on, what's the movie that you're not passing by? You don't matter how many times you've seen it, you're going to watch it. Friday. Yep. Good it's job. classic. It's wow. a classic movie. You can't get any complaints from that. Final rapid fire is bucket list. When this whole COVID thing is over, when just something you've always wanted to do, that's what you're doing. Jamaica. Jamaica. I that's like not it. Not a bad idea. I like it. That's a good answer. I like that. That is a great answer. I've actually, uh, that's a goal of mine. I liked it. To get there. Yeah, like to get there. So, you that said is you gotta dope. go back. You gotta go back. <laughs> I went for I a it. bachelorette, so I need to go back. Jasper. There's so many parts. There's so yeah. many different parts and things that you can go to and different people gravitate to different to sides. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. My ultimate so, goal is just to retire on the beach. So, if that's, that's what that's a bucket looks list. like to me, being able to retire on the That's, that's yep. a bucket list. We're going to change it to that. That's a bucket list. I definitely have that bucket <laughs> list as well. But thank you so much, Dwayne. Thank you for You're being welcome. on the podcast. You definitely motivated us, definitely learned a lot in regards to mindset and what we can do to give back to the community and what we can do to get, get started and get invested from real estate to the community. So we appreciate that so much. And thank you. All good. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye.